Hello and welcome to Inclusionomics, a podcast that provides tools to all women who are challenged with finding or having access to positions of power. We help you navigate the path to being seen, being heard, and being included. Everyone is welcome here. It is an inclusion podcast after all, and we hope that you're here for all of that. Today's topic is, you should have been a better parent. And your hosts are Stacey Gordon, that's me, Lisa Gates, and Thiele Thatch. Maya Angelou said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. But what is better and how do you define it? As we rush about with our jobs and our clients and our trainings and this podcast, we wondered where do our kids fit in? There are so many ways that we are concerned about being good parents and being a working parent is something that we all deal with, yet our jobs haven't done a good job of being inclusive. As working moms, working dads, professionals without children, there seems to be tension in the workplace. So how do we create inclusive workplaces without alienating those without children? And we'd love to say there are some really simple solutions that we're going to chat about today. But as we prepared for this conversation, we got a lot sidetracked and we probably (laughs) will again. (laughs) So on that note, we're going to chat about how do you be a better parent? Listen to the pause. Yes. (laughs) Listen to the pause. Nobody wants to go first. (laughs) Nobody wants to go first. You know, we're we're all fallible. We're all um, yes. um, making this up as we go along. Well, and even the podcasts are recording today, right? Like we we should have done a podcast last week, but for those of you that are following us, realize we are late with this podcast, and we apologize. But that has to do with the fact that we were off trying to be better parents <laughs> at the end of summer. <laughs> That's right. Had a trip up to San Francisco to see my son, uh, ignored everything that I had to do. Who cares? Uh, I'm taking a little vacation. We're taking a little break. Okay, so that's one version of uh, parenting, of being a better parent. This is really a tough topic for me because anytime you use the word better, I'm very concerned with shaming or making someone else feel like feel as if they're not as good so I and I as personal for me because I don't want someone to think I'm not a better parent so it's a really complicated topic and is very similar to um, staying woke like what we talked about before how do you define that how do who says that you're a better parent other than your children, are they the ones to define it or your partner? So, but what I was focused on and trying to stay focused on was what does that look like in your career? Since that's what we talk about a lot on this podcast. And many times people didn't want to believe that I had a career because I had children and they couldn't understand, well, how are you having a career and having children? So like um, a book that we were talking about, The Year of Yes, with, written by Shonda Rhimes. Um, she basically talks about you can't have it all. And, I, and I, that always stuck with me from the book is sometimes you're not a good parent, and you know, air quotes, because you can't make, you know, your child's concert 
because you traveled in the concert store. So who defines that? I think we do. I think we do. We have to always compete against ourselves. And we know when we're doing good and when we're not. Although we do create these false expectations, right? We, we set up these high barriers that we need to reach. And then when we don't reach them, we're upset with ourselves. And so I think one of the things that, that Shonda Rhimes said in that book is that, you know, sometimes you just have to stop in that moment. Like one of the things I remember distinctly was she said she was dressed for like the Oscars or something. And her daughter ran up and said, let's play mommy. And she was like, oh, shoot, why not? She dropped down to the floor and played. But 10 minutes later, her daughter went off and she was good. So like, that's the other thing is kids have short attention spans. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think they're holding on to things, but really it's us. We're holding on to this thing and um, we have to let it go. But I think where I was going with our topic today is how do we raise more self-aware children? Because when we talk about inclusion, you have to think about the fact that the people in your workplace who frustrate you and who are not inclusive and who do things that, are, uh, that maybe you wish they wouldn't, they are somebody's child, <laughs> right? They came from, uh, they, were, they are a product of a demographic, of a neighborhood, of, of, a, of some sort of microcosm, right? And so that's what made me think about this topic is that the people out in the world are somebody else's child. And so our job as parents, if, if we have kids, right, or if you want to be somebody's auntie or big sister or big brother, is we are role models to others. And so... It's not, it's, it's not all on us. I get that. But we are role models. And so what we do is seen by others. And so if we're sort of better people, then maybe hopefully by osmosis, we'll be better parents. You know, I have a story. I, I have an, an event that happened that kind of speaks to this. When my son was five, uh, kindergarten, we were in a, in a school, in a small school with a, a great deal of diversity. Um, and my son was remarking on one of his, his, his dude, the, the people in his class. And he, he looked at her and he said, you are so black. And uh, so that, you know, he, he made this comment to, to this girl, Deja, who was um, very black. Okay, so I don't know where he came up with the word black as the descriptor, but that's what he came up with. And the teacher um, called us into a parent meeting and said, you know, he made this comment. It wasn't really very welcomed. It was, you know, um, uh, uh, kind of odd to deal with and I just said well that's interesting that's a that's an interesting observation and I said well what did you do with that what did you do with that in the class and and she said I just kind of skipped over it and I thought wow that would have been a time and I did say this that would have been a time to say wow and you know but you know here's here's a moment let me back up. <laughs> My response to that was they're too young to have this conversation, to get the import of that conversation. Um, she could have celebrated color. She could have done all kinds of things. She could have said, 
you know, that's interesting. Yeah. And, 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 you know, John, look at John, what color is John? Or I, I don't know what, what they could have done. Um, but it felt like this moment that was lost. And what happened after that was the parent of the girl um, who's black um, said, Hey, why don't we go have coffee with our kids? Why don't we go have a play date with our kids? And so we did. And it just kind of dispelled everything just, and they routinely had these play dates and everything was fine. But it was this weird moment of, I should have been a better parent to prepare him or teach him about color or race or inclusion or something, you know, meanwhile, he's five. Right. Well, but it's about self-awareness. So that's kind of like my take on being a better parent is understanding that. And I'm not saying this is necessarily the case for you, but in general, if you live in a neighborhood that is all very homogenous, then you can't by any stretch of the imagination yeah. assume that that child is somehow going to learn about other cultures, other races, except for what they see on TV, right? Yeah. So yeah. it is incumbent upon the parent to take that child to other neighborhoods, to the museum, to the beach, to different areas so they can learn about things. Like I'll never forget meeting a child who was in, a, I can't remember how old she was, maybe somewhere between 10 and 13 and um, living um, in LA in, a, in Compton. And she said she had never been to the beach, never been to the beach. The beach is like 10 miles west. And so it was just like, really? Never been to the beach? How is that possible? So, I mean, those are the kinds of things. It's like, if we want to raise children with awareness, we have to take them out of these little microcosms that we mm -hmm. have them growing up in. And that is, I think, on the parent to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just seems like that's just one facet of parenthood is, you know, what you teach them and what you expose them to. But there's so many other facets. And then I like what um, was brought up before when I was we were talking about this earlier. You know, not all parents have the resources, even though that that parent lived a few blocks from the beach, I think. But, you know, maybe they were working late. Maybe when they got home, they could, I don't know why. I'm just saying. Maybe they weren't, they didn't have the resources to expose their children. But then you have some parents who have absolutely no resources and they are determined to expose them. So again, it's just such, I think, I truly believe that God gives us the parents that we need for whatever reason, even in their best and their worst. And um it's, it's all relative in a way, right? It's, so this topic is really hard for me because you have to be a certain parent at different stages in their in in yes. the parenting. Yes. So, but you're still, I think ultimately, okay, to wrap this up for the sake of rambling and going on and on. Ultimately, you're you're the one growing, not the child. That's that was my take on it that I walked away with because sure you can you can uh, deliver certain wisdom to your child. And, but ultimately, they're going to have to obtain their own wisdom and their own experiences totally separate of you. So the child is a blessing to you and you're learning how to balance your life 
but with the children, your, your career, your spouse, your partner, your gym activity, whatever you're doing. Um, it's really always, a, I was, you know, it's always about you. Me and my husband always said that, like when we would fight about the kids, it was never because one of our kids broke a glass. Who cares about the glass? It was how we were uh, how you responded together. to it. It was how we responded to it. How yeah. we were working together. Is why did we even buy glasses when we knew we had kids? You know, like, <laughs> like, why did we got glasses in here in the first place? <laughs> right. So why did you it always was, you, right. you should yeah, have been a better parent and not left the glass on the table where they could knock it off. I, and to this day, I don't have glassware in my house. Everything is wood <laughs> or plastic because I got enough problems in chasing them around. Like, oh, you're going to break a glass. I'm breaking glass. You know. It was enough stress. So that was something that had to do with me and my partner, right? So anyhow, I just always, it just dawned on me that it was never about the kids. It was about me. And you just have to feel confident that you were the best parent you could be. Right. And you're still going to be a a, a horrible parent, probably. <laughs> well, but, and that's so that's the part about the working parent, right? So you're at work, you're trying to be a good parent, but a lot of times when you're a working parent, it's really hard because you're going, okay, I need to be here for my kids, but I'm trying to be present at work. And I feel like work doesn't do a very good job of being inclusive, right? And, and, not only do they not make do a good job, but then they, I feel like you get pitted against people who don't have children, right? Because if I don't have a child, I don't care about you and your problems and your child. <laughs> and why should there be extra protections for somebody who has a parent? I mean, for somebody who is a parent. Like I think, Leela, you were saying you were teaching a class um, who had a comment about that. Yeah, I was teaching and we were talking about Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act and sexual sex discrimination around sex, and the woman just had an outburst. Um, obviously, she doesn't have any kids, and it was interesting because there was a pregnant woman in the room, and she said, "I just need to put pillows in my shirt and look like I'm pregnant." I've had I've had so many times where people who come to work pregnant are treated better than me. I'm just going to stuff my shirt with pillows and pretend to be pregnant for nine months. And I was like, wow, she just had, she felt really strongly about that. She was angry, but she was angry why? because she feels like there is, there is this dichotomy in the workplace, which Mm -hmm. there shouldn't be, right? We should just all be individuals. So moving it from maternity leave to just leave. If you need leave to take care of stuff, whether it be a child or a grandparent or a nephew or a mother, right? You just get leave. Right. Exactly. And some companies do have that policy where you can take a personal leave. And sometimes it's just to take a sabbatical, to think about your life, to think about your puppy, think about your cat, whatever. And, um, yeah, well, that's complicated too. But going back to parenting, it's really challenging when, you know, you either get a star or failing grade because you have kids or you don't have kids. Like there's certain workplaces where you can't, you're not a part of the in-group if you don't have children. So, you know, if the people in power have children, (laughs) then it's all good. You can walk around and show off your kids, right? But then if the people in power are all about not having kids or 
And then you have to go home and take care of your kids. And now you're not a part of the in-group. Right. So I think yeah. that's, that's the big problem too. And so some, I've, there's been times in my career, I didn't talk about my kids or my children rather, because I wanted to pretend that I didn't have to go home to them, even though I knew I did. But I mean, I wouldn't talk about it. I'm, oh, I don't have to, oh, I can stay late. Yeah, sure. Um, so have you experienced that where you're in the workplace? But I know a lot of people who don't put their, their children's pictures on the desk and they don't really talk about or celebrate having children because I've tried it, but I talk like, too much. And so I can't <laughs> not do it. Like there have been times where I said, I am not going to talk about my children, but somehow it will come up. You know, I might say, oh, I was at the XYZ. I was at the grocery store and I was looking for X and you know, I just happened to mention something about my kids. Like they're so intertwined in my life. It is right. difficult to, you know, somehow pull those pieces apart and separate it and put that on a shelf somewhere and not discuss it. I just, I can't do it. Right. And if you're encouraged to bring your best self to work, isn't, aren't your children part of your best self? You hope. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes. <Well>. Not always. <laughs> I, 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 I I was re. I had a job in a nonprofit, a national nonprofit, um, as an education director, and I was in the local, uh, a local chapter of that nonprofit. And at the time, my son was two, three, four, no, three, four, five, six, something like that. Um, and at one point, um, Child care wasn't available. Child care wasn't happening. It was a mess. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to bring him to work with me. And there was not an, an example of that going on in our workplace. But it was a small, uh, you know, there were probably 50 people who worked there. And I decided, you know, what the hell? I'm going to try it. I'm just going to do it. And <clears throat> fortunately, it worked out well. I did it two or three, four or five 10 times. The first couple of times it was weird. It, uh, it, it was, you know, wow, what's going on? Um, <clears throat> and I realized that, that, that I had to normalize it, that, that, that I had to just say, you know, look, uh, stuff happens. I need to be here. Things didn't work out. He's going to be here for the day. Uh, fortunately, where we worked, where I worked, um, you know, it, it worked out. I can't imagine that being the norm in most organizations. Um, but I think it's like a lot of things having to do with inclusion and diversity that, that you have to um, assume inclusion, assume, uh, assume it so that it can be normalized. So what, what happened for me out of that was um, there will be times when my son will be with me, will be in the office, and we're going to have to accommodate that, and that's the way it's going to go. That just got inculcated from, from that moment, right? And then other people started to do the same thing when they needed to. 
And the truth is, it didn't disrupt anything. It made it richer. It made it better. It was like the fun moment. Hey, let me have a little moment with your son. Let me have a little fun time with your daughter. Um, hey, you know, just these conversations that would sprout up that actually deepened all of our relationships, made everything kind of more cohesive, better. So did other people then start bringing in their children? Yes, they did. Yeah. So, but, but it wasn't like it became a thing. It became a kind of random thing. It wasn't. I wonder though, when we talk about better parenting, right? So I do the same thing. I take my daughter and my youngest daughter into work with me, but I've always taken all of my kids with me. I used to go to board meetings and take my children with me. <laughs> but the, the thing was, they were always well-behaved children. They yeah. will always sit quietly. They would read a book. They would have a, like their tablet or something that would keep them occupied. And half the time, we would end the meeting and I would walk out with them. And people would say, I didn't even know your children were here, even though they had been sitting in the back of the room. <laughs> so I wonder. Yeah, well, how much about, work did that take, Stacey, <laughs> in advance of that meeting? But right? Well, so... That's one of the things, luckily, and I understand with girls, it's sometimes easier than with boys, but I'm not going to get into that whole thing on this podcast. But I will just, that's my question is, what if you have a rambunctious child who cannot sit still and just is tearing up the office? Like, do you then have that option to bring them in? Can you do that? <laughs> you, well, you don't know until you know, right? You don't know until you try. I guess, what, yeah. What, you know. Maybe that child, um, um, maybe that child will go, will will be so intrigued by the the, the event um, that that they behave in a way that you didn't expect, uh, that they feel included, that they feel, oh my God, I'm with my mom at work. This is right. amazing. You know. Well, so that brings us to what about these these inclusion programs where they, you know, once a year you get to bring your child to work. <laughs> on that one day, right? I know Thiele mentioned this. It's like, well, is that really inclusion? Like, oh, you get to see my child once a year on a pre-planned day when nobody's really doing any work anyway, and we have all these children parading around. Like, how do we feel about that? <laughs> I definitely still don't know how I feel about it because <clears throat> it almost feels more like a slap in the face than a celebration um, that... I only get one day a year, if that's the case, to bring my child to work. And originally, I thought the programs were more for the children, not for the parent or to celebrate any type of inclusion, but to uh, serve as like role modeling for the children on what type of professions they could, you know, uh, secure as they get older. So mm -hmm. I don't know how this became a diversity and inclusion event because you're, you know, someone is saying, oh, let's show parents that we like their kids for one day. What, the, <laughs> what, is, what is that? And then in some offices, they can bring your dog in every day or your cat. You know, you have pet-friendly workplaces, but you don't have kid-friendly. You can't bring your kid in, but you can bring the dog in. Now, that is a good point. And I will say I am biased. <laughs> Everyone who knows me knows this about me. I am biased about pets. I said it. There you go. Um, <laughs> so I totally get it. That one frustrates me. It's like, so wait, I can bring my dog to work, but not my child? I don't understand. Um, that one baffles me. But again, personal pet peeve. <laughs> right. And people show like blatant animosity when you bring your kids in like they're such an annoyance 
but the dog could be running around chewing up paper mm-hmm. and they're the cutest thing in the world. And you're chasing them down the elevator, they're tripping <laughs> people, but your little, you know, your child is, you know, sitting on the floor with their legs crossed and, it, it, you know, people just turn their nose up like, oh, look at her. Okay, so side note on this one too, what I cannot stand is people go, the dog jumps up on you and they go, oh, he's, he's friendly. I don't care. I'm not looking for your dog as a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you should be able to bring the dogs and the cats and the kids to work. If you're going to have dogs, a dog-friendly policy, you should have a kid-friendly policy. And to me, that's real inclusion. But a day out of the year where you parade the kids around and they play games, I don't think that's inclusion. Now, a shadowing program, I, I don't get me started with this. I just, I have a pet peeve about your biggest <laughs> inclusion program is bring your kids to work day. <laughs> Saying, look at us. We appreciate you that you have a kid one day a year. I totally so, hear that. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, but, but, okay, let me dig deeper down this crazy rabbit hole. So what does that say to me as a mother? That once a year, you appreciate the fact that I have a child. So what do I do the rest of the 300 and or 280 whatever days a year? I, I cover. And I you don't celebrate. You slog it out. You slog, I slog it, it out. out. I don't talk about, I, I run around, I get up at four, drop my kid off, don't talk about my kids, do my work and act like I don't have one. You stress eat when your child is off on some random day that no one told you about and you don't have a babysitter. <laughs> I like that one. You stress, period. You stress because they made it clear that they only care about you having a child one day out of the year. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back to the, so let's think about this for a minute. No, this is still a part of that same thing. But then you have, like I said, this dichotomy where there are people who don't have children, right? So then they're frustrated. And I will say rightfully so, you know, they're frustrated because if they feel that there is preferential treatment for people who do have kids. And I will say this. Oh my gosh, I remember. And I will, I'm calling this one out because this was years ago and the man doesn't work there anymore. But I worked at Mattel for um, not very long. I won't go into that whole story. But everyone knows Mattel is the greatest place to work, right? Because they've got Barbie, right? And um, they had a, they still have, I think, a on-site daycare. On-site daycare from seven to seven. So I would come in and I would um, drop off my daughter at about eight o'clock. And then I would try to leave by six, six thirty to pick her up. So one time I was leaving, it was six thirty. Daycare closes at seven. I didn't want her to be the last child being picked up at seven. And she was only like six months old, I think, at the time. So I'm leaving, I'm rushing out the door at six thirty. And one of the attorneys says to me, Oh, I sure wish I had a child so I have an excuse to leave early. Like, uh, what? Wow, I've heard that before, too. That's terrible. I'm like, I've been here since eight. My child has been in daycare for hours with strangers. I'm going to finally go pick her up and hug her and hold her before they they put her outside and lock the doors. And you've got a problem with that? Yes. That's, That's just messed up. And... Wow. See, this is why there's not a lot to say. Um, It's hard to talk about this topic because, you know, 
I can't even. I don't even. Lisa, why do you have to get quiet? <laughs> why do you, I, I, I don't know why this is a segue. What, what, uh, it, it doesn't relate to what you're saying, but I, I keep thinking about this um, thinker, writer, uh, Sir Kenneth Robinson, who, this English dude, who wrote a book called um, Element. And in the book, he describes this situation with this child in a classroom who is being very disruptive. She couldn't settle down. She, she um, w- w- wasn't paying attention. And they just thought she was a problem child. And the teacher thought she was a problem child. And so fortunately, they had a school psychologist and the school psychologist started working with the little girl. And she was always just like, you know, moving constantly and and just, just disrupting everything because she was always twirling and moving. And so the psychologist had a meeting with her and said, what do you love to do? And she said, I love to dance. And she said, and the psychologist said, oh, okay, well, let's see if we can help you do more of that. And so the, the solution to this disruptive dancing child was to allow her to be in the back of the room while the lesson was going on, um, doing what she did, moving and doing, uh, kind of responding to the lesson in her physical way. And had that child not been able to do that, had the parent not said, okay, this this sounds like a good strategy. This sounds like, okay, um, we can do this. Um, That child would not have grown up to be who she was, who was the um, uh, um, what do we call it? The, The I can't remember her name now, but she was a choreographer for Cats, for the musical Cats. So this little girl who had grown up um, being the other, being like this disruptive uh, thing, this whatever, um, was well cared for by parents and teachers. They were were being concerned and, uh, you know, curious about how we can support this child. And she ends up being the choreographer for Andrew Lloyd Webber's famous musical. Wow. Well, Lisa, yeah, I wanted to jump in and say, I think that's really a great way to kind of express what I couldn't express because I couldn't put my finger on it. But all I have learned as a parent of adult children is the best parent I could be was to be their advocate, was to celebrate their talents, was to be there when they needed me, whether I work or not. But there were times, you know, where I needed to drop everything, even if I was at a conference or if I had work, you know, knowing my children enough to know that this was when they needed me and this was when they needed me to be their advocate. And I only could know that because I was their parent. So yeah. I think there's no best or better, good, better, best, never let it rest. But um, it, there was no better. Like, it's just knowing 
my son, one of my children was, was the same way. And I literally had to leave a job so I could spend maybe two or three of his formative years in the classroom with him. I mean, I literally sat in the classroom shadowing him um, through junior high and, and most of high school because well, he needed, he wouldn't have graduated. Right. And he needed me. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say is bringing it back to that workplace thing, right? Is that that's the thing that, that companies have got to understand, especially in this busy, crazy world that we are in. We've got to have flex work programs because if I have to leave to go pick up my child because they're sick, I shouldn't have to ask your permission to do that. You have hired me. I should be, uh, you should know I am smart enough and intelligent enough. And I think I said this on a prior podcast that if you don't believe that I'm smart enough and intelligent enough to actually get my work done and make sure that I've met my deadlines and I do what needs to be done and that if I can't do it, I find someone else to help me and I ask for help, then you shouldn't have hired me. So you shouldn't be micromanaging my time and my hours and, and what I'm doing. So if I need to leave because I've got to go do something for my kid, heck, if I have to leave because I just bought a new puppy and the puppy needs to be fed every two hours, I should be allowed to do that too if I want to work from home for two or three days till I can get that situated. Like we've got to be able to just, the workplace has to be more flexible and that allows us to be better parents. Mm. Yeah. So I think on that note, I mean, the, the only other thing I wanted to say about um, parenting is I think the fact that we talk about, you know, we put these expectations on ourselves, and a lot of society, thankfully society is changing a little bit, right, for the better. We're more open. We're more inclusive. We no longer have this idea that parents are, you know, a, a mother and a father who are male and female, and they have 2.5 children and a white picket fence and a dog, right? Like, that's not necessarily the normal anymore. Like, that is slowly starting to change. And I think that's what we all have to remember, Um is that parenting looks different. You can't look at somebody crazy when they're in the workplace and you know that maybe, you know, they are gay and they have a partner and they say, oh, I have to be home to be with my child, right? Like, these are, we, we have to not be so judgmental and we need to be more open and more helpful to those in, in our communities. And um, that will help us all be, be better parents, better coworkers, better friends, <laughs> <laughs> better employees. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we need to just lighten up. Like <laughs> 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 profound words, lighten up. And I think we we have to just take it kind of day by day and, and looking at where we are in terms of our career, in terms of what our children need. I've moved from you know, and there's like other people on this, some of you, we, I've moved from New Jersey to South Carolina, now to California, but keeping in mind the needs of my career and my kids and what's best for all, you know, there was no one right answer, but having, I guess the best way to say this is being flexible, being flexible and knowing if you're in a position or a career that doesn't support your lifestyle, no matter what that is, and especially if it doesn't support your parenting, then you probably should look for another career or another position. If you can't, it goes to the same inclusive thinking. If you can't bring your whole self or your best self to work, and most of the time your children probably are, they probably are your 
yourself, um, then you probably shouldn't be at that place. Or there has to be a radical change at that workplace if you can't talk about your six-month-old child and someone makes a, I can't, I mean, that comment just blew me away that someone could try to shame you because you're picking up your child from daycare. So that type of work environment or people who felt comfortable to say that, then you have to rethink and you're not there anymore. So that was why I was there for a very short time. (laughs) Right. So So I think that's a good, I think that's a good example of you made a decision to be a good parent. You were being a better parent. Like this is not conducive to my family. This isn't, you know, I want to be somewhere where they celebrate my child, not make me feel like, they're a pariah because I picked them up because I left. I mean, that's just horrible. I can't tell you the number of times I've worked with clients who have said, you know, part of the, the negotiation I want to create with this new opportunity or this promotion or whatever is um, um, about asking for flexibility or asking for remote, right? So think of the person who is a a senior level person going for a new role. We're on the upper end of the spectrum here, okay? And, And those women still thinking, I need to ask permission to do what I need to do during the workday or whatever to um, uh, accomplish my life goals, my, my, my life, as well as my work. Right? Well, that is such a perfect segue, Lisa, because that's going to be our next podcast topic. So we hope that you will tune in for You Should Have Asked. Um, but I think that I'm not going to let you give away that information yet. <laughs> Because we're going to talk about that on our next podcast. So they'll give you a reason to tune in and talk about how you can ask. And uh, we're going to give you some really great tips on that. So um, I think that Thiele actually closed us out with some really good uh, thoughts around the fact that, you know what, make the, uh, make the choices that are going to make you a better parent. And um, employers, if you're listening, understand that your employees are going to start doing that. So you know, this is Thiele, Lisa and I, we are here as usual, sharing our learning and experiences with you. And we hope that if you like today's discussion, that you'll like us, share us and listen in next time. Thank you. Listening to Inclusionomics with Lisa Gates, Thiele Thatch, and Stacey Gordon. Visit inclusionomics.net to subscribe and download.